the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. Excuse me, Tom. ProAmericaReport.com. Get signed up for our daily email, the Daily Wink. What you need to know, and also review some of these great segments, ProAmericaReport.com. Welcome again, Ed Martin here. Great to be with you. At Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Uh, there's a ton going on. I'm actually uh, going to be on Larry Elder's show uh, today, his radio program, which is great to be on with the great Larry Elder. Uh, I actually was exchanging. I have an, a, a tradition in my in my life from when I was uh, a younger uh, man professionally that in the days surrounding uh, that Thanksgiving, uh, my old boss... Uh, the late, uh, excuse me, not the late, the, my old boss, uh, uh, the Cardinal Justin Regali, used to make phone calls. I assume he still does, uh, saying thanks, happy Thanksgiving to people. Just a, a quick call to say thank you and happy Thanksgiving. So I've been make, reaching out to a lot of folks, uh, wishing people happy Thanksgiving as we get closer to that holiday. It's a great week for that. People are, I don't know, they're getting in the spirit as the week goes on. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Thank you for listening. Uh, listen, today, I want to cover, and I don't have a lot of details yet, but I'm going to warn you that it's time for us to pivot and find out what's going on. There is finally getting to be some scrutiny of the Build Back Better boondoggle. You know, the Build Back Better uh, bill, a Build Back Better proposal that passed the House. It's a couple of trillion dollars, maybe almost three trillion dollars. It's not clear, Uh, but it's now finally being sort of looked at closer, and we're starting to see... And there are some facts out there in what was passed the House. It's going back to the Senate to be passed. It's going to take most of the rest of the month. But the fact is that it looks like there is at least, I would say at least, um, four or five areas of the Build Back Better plan, a proposal that passed the House, that include amnesty for illegals. Now, you haven't heard that yet, right? You haven't heard anybody say it. What people have said, build back better. You're not even supposed to ask. You're not even supposed to know. I think it, inclu- I think it includes uh, money for uh, mandatory pre-K, which would be a ton of spending, right? I think it includes um, some uh, uh, giveaways inside the uh, welfare program. I don't know if they kept in the provision that would uh, remove the work provision. But the fact is that we don't really know what's in it. This is one of the standards of, at this point of this of this process. These bills get so big, so massive, nobody knows what's in it. They're all talking to each other. This is where, by the way, the proof is that in the House, if you're not in the majority, you don't matter at all. Because you can't even, you don't even get to ask. And the, they're passing these bills in the House by the Democrats telling each other in what's in it. And, and they're just taking each other's word because that's how it works, right? They're, they're oh, okay, God. and, and they're, they're trying to buy off a couple of Republicans. Uh, and, and But the, Breitbart.com is reporting, and it was a couple weeks ago that they reported that there's a budget 
of at least for the, 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 the way you read the Build Back Better, the budgeting in it that would allow um, a, a green cards, so not formal citizenship, but permanent status here, and eventually the plan is to get them in, to 7 million, 7 million illegals that are here. That's John Binder reporting over there. And so, we, I mean, again, we, we don't know yet. We don't know yet, but I do know that the... Um, the Center for Immigration Studies, in a few moments, we'll talk with Todd Benzman. They have been covering this, and they have said what I'm telling you. They have said that there is provisions in the Build Back Better that would give the pathway to citizenship for up to 7 million. Could be more than 7 million. I, I mean, I don't think, again, we don't even know. Some of it is spending. Some of it is on green cards. Some of it is, uh, some of it is um, uh, authorization. The question is, will it pass the muster of the Senate parliamentarian? Remember, this happened once before. The Senate parliamentarian said you can't do that, and it was taken out. But we don't know, because the second attempt to do this looks like it has, I don't know, it's maybe most about money. Here's one of the provisions. This is Senate for Immigration Studies. Parole. Parole is a very limited immigration authority Congress has extended to the executive branch. It, uh, so this is I'm reading from CIS. It enables DI, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, to allow aliens into the United States temporarily, but only on a case-by-case basis. So what the bill would do is broaden the definition in two ways of parole. One, it would extend parole to anyone who was legal or illegally in America. Because it's not supposed to be for illegals, it's supposed to be for legals. And second, it would allow them to stay not just by a case-by-case basis, but blanket. Look, my point here is, can you believe that the House of Representatives just voted on a bill a week ago, Build Back Better, that has a provision in this economy, in this time, in this America first kind of moment for illegal immigration to be promoted? for legal immigration to be expanded it boggles the mind at this point someone said to me recently it feels like nancy pelosi doesn't care if she is here and in the majority at all because there's no there's no way americans want this there's a poll out of arizona arizona of course a key state on immigration and i think it's 60 percent don't want this increase in in immigration and immigration uh legalization 60 percent in arizona which is a state that somehow, supposedly, Biden won. I believe it when I see it. Now, you may have noticed, I don't think I talked about it on the show, if, except in a glancing conversation, uh, that there was a problem in Poland where a bunch of migrants showed up on their border and the Poles said, um, no, not coming in, and sent troops there. Now, Poland's border is not as big as our border with Mexico, to be obvious. But it's still a significant, it was a significant move, and it was how to say, not countermanded by anyone. The EU couldn't do anything about it. The polls said, you're just not coming. We're putting military there. In America, the backdrop of this Build Back Better bill is an open border. So it's not like anyone is saying, hey, let's be reasonable. We've got a secure border now. Everything is locked up tight. What do we do with all these people that are here? That, that, that's usually, that's one of the arguments that they make. In this case, they're not even trying to make that because they know the border's wide open. And we've got tens of thousands of illegals passing every week. 
And again, we'll talk with Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies in a moment and see what he has to say. There's a lot happening down on the border. But on this issue alone, I think that you're going to see the Democrats lose the House, the Senate, the presidency, probably. And I have to wonder, at what point are you watching the, the Democrat Party just kind of end? And, and they're doing it. I mean, I, the one thing I've predicted all along was follow the money. And in this case, now follow the votes. Because if they're going to go down, they're going to go down with a big bang. They're going to go, meaning they're going to take the money and they're going to take the change in the law to enhance their priority, again, for being in power long term. Because if you have 7 million people that come in this country that are already here, you keep the borders open for three more years because Biden's president or Harris is president, perhaps. You're transforming the country. It's not even close. And that seems to be the priority. It's hard to describe it as anything else. The Build Back Better boondoggle is transforming the country, if only on the immigration. Now, we can hope and pray that the Senate parliamentarian, an unelected parliamentarian, gets this thrown out. I just don't know if I believe it. I don't know if you should trust it. And more importantly, where's the media coverage of how bad, of of what what this would mean? Say it that way. The media likes it, of course. The media likes it, and they don't want to cover it because they know how negative it is. That's the, that's the trick. The media likes it because it's liberal, and they don't want to cover it because they know it's so unpopular. And the Democrats don't want to talk about it. They're begrudgingly talking about it, and we're talking about it. Even, I, we, even we're talking about it more than the media. CNN's certainly not talking about it. MSNBC's not talking about it. The, the big three media, the, the, you know, the big three uh, nightly news aren't talking about it. Fox is a little bit. Build back better, boondoggle. On immigration, horrendous for our country. Worth noting. All right, we have to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with our two friends. Todd Benzman will give us an update. for the, at the He's at the Center for Immigration Studies. And we'll also catch up with our old friend Adam Anjewski. He has a report out on massive spending for informants. Uh, we'll see what that means. What does it mean when you spend tons of money on informants? Uh, I don't know. You get a lot more informants. And looks like some of the informants were doing the crimes or participating in crimes. That's something people are wondering about. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, you heard me talk about this a few days ago. I think late last week. I saw on Forbes.com. My old friend, Adam Anjewski, who is a senior contributor there, he wrote a column, uh, FBI and other agencies paid informants $548 million in recent years with many committing authorized crimes. It ran in Forbes. It's gotten some attention. And I, I emailed, I texted Adam, I think, and said, hey, can you jump on and talk about this? Because this is, uh, you know, um, along, with, along the lines of learning that, um, you know, the FISA applications were fraudulent and all getting some transparency on what exactly the FBI does seems pretty important. So Adam, welcome back. Of course, Adam Anjewski is the founder and president of OpenTheBooks.com. Tons of stuff there. And that's where this report is. So Adam, tell us, what does this mean? What do you, what, I know you don't, you, your thing is to get transparency, but you have a sense of what you're seeing. So tell us what this is. Well, we were surprised about the scope just the sheer amount of taxpayer money, hundreds of millions of dollars that goes into the federal law enforcement complex and results in the payment to informants. These are confidential human sources. And so I think just the, uh, the, the scope of just how much money 
and how many informants they are. And then what a powerful law and tool, uh, law enforcement tool that informants uh, can be when they're, when they're authorized to commit tens of thousands of crimes. Uh, this is something that needed transparency. So Adam, we're talking about Adam Anjewski, OpenTheBooks.com. When you requested this information, um, how come it doesn't come out? How come they don't respond and say, I'm not telling you based on uh, national security or, or something like that? Isn't there some exception to uh, your, uh, you know, again, OpenTheBooks.com has gotten really good at understanding uh, for those of you that haven't been to their website, how, how to get transparency. Sometimes at the state level, it's uh, one way. Sometimes at the federal level, it's another. But why didn't in the law enforcement context, I thought they used a pretty good excuse. We don't have to tell you because of security. Well, and they probably would have if we'd have filed a FOIA request, a Federal Freedom of Information Act request for this information. Um, so what we did is we, we just used public information within government audit reports. So we located government oh. audit reports whether it's the Congressional Research Service, whether it's the inspector general at the Department uh-huh. of Justice or at the individual agencies like the FBI, the DEA or the or the ATF. And we put our report together from there. So we used we just used public documents and all these documents and all this reporting. We just pulled together into one piece. And it's one reason why some of the years, although we believe it's the latest years available, some of the some of the information is starting to get a little older because there isn't sunshine on uh, this this area of federal law enforcement. It is a black I box. I see. I see. Uh, we talk Adam Anjewski, OpenTheBooks.com, uh, and this piece that he ran that he wrote over at Forbes, where he's a, a senior contributor uh, about the FBI. So, how do you know they were doing crimes? When you look at it, again in those reports you're looking at, can you piece together? Okay, so and so. Uh, got, uh, you know, uh, a half a million dollars to be a driver to accomplish whatever. And what kind of crimes can you see? So uh, we don't we don't know the individual crimes, but we do know from the Daily Dot, they did a Federal Freedom of Information Act request. And from 2011 through 2014, and that's the latest years available, uh, there was roughly 23,000 times federal informants were authorized by their handlers to commit a crime, which is an unlawful activity, um, but that's authorized underneath a 1980 change in the statute that authorized federal informants when when authorized, they could commit a federal crime. Now, Ed, um, certain crimes are always off limits, like violence. You can't kill somebody. You can't shoot somebody. That's never authorized. Uh, You can't do obstruction of justice, for instance. And there's there's many other uh, delineated, specific, unlawful actions that are never legal for an informant. So if you if you ask the FBI and could you ask the FBI, do they say no comment Um, or or will they is there any response or can you get any response even from the inspector generals or anybody or no? Well, uh, so in twenty in 2019, uh, the inspector general over at Justice did an oversight report and and within that audit recommended 19 separate um, updates to FBI policy. And none of them, none of them came to fruition. So, look, we need we need some type of transparency component to this. We've got we have. You know, our auditors through these audit reports identified five hundred and fifty million dollars spent on federal informants. It's a tremendous amount of money. You know, the uh, the DEA alone 
in a given year has up to 18,000 informants. You know, they paid 9,000 of those informants nearly $250 million over a five-year period. So a tremendous amount of money is flowing. We don't know a lot about it. We just know some high-level stats that we pulled together for this pretty stunning uh, Forbes column. And we need a regular system of, a, of accounting for this money done on an after-action basis. Okay, you can close the books, but don't let seven years or eight years go past or five years go past. Let's, let's kind of see it on a rolling two-year basis. Uh, Adam Anjevsky, we're talking to OpenTheBooks.com. He's the founder and president and also is a contributor over at Forbes. We're talking about this, uh, his report about almost $600 million uh, paid out by the FBI to informants. Uh, in what period was it, by the way? You just made me think about it. Is this, can you tell, this was paid out in the period between what year and what year? Right. So the FBI, it's different years in the report. Um, so for the okay. FBI, it's an average of $42 million paid out between each, you know, each of the seven years on average between the year 2012 and 2018. So that's the latest okay, data it. available. And then over, for instance, at the DEA, you know, we looked at, we looked at a five-year period. Um, I don't have the I years. Um, I think it's 2010. I think it was a six-year period, 2010 through 2015 uh, was over at the okay. DEA. Uh, the ATF was, was a four-year period. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, informants during that four-year period, on average, over that period, made ten grand. The DEA, during that period, their informants made $26,000, uh, for example. Um, there were informants, federal informants, that were minted as millionaires. I mean, regular rank-and-file informants, like people working for a packaging company, like, like UPS or FedEx, made over a million dollars over a five-year period. You know, an Amtrak employee in a six-year period made $962,000. You know, the, the inspector did a, you know, did an audit of those payments and said no substantial information came out of that relationship after nearly a million dollars. They said we could have gotten everything at virtually no cost by partnering with the Amtrak police instead. Hmm. Uh, we're talking with uh, Adam Anjevsky. OpenTheBooks.com is the website and the report. Um, is, is there any way to compare this to other eras? In other words, do you have a sense? I don't think your I don't think your report, as I read it, and I was reading your column and Forbes uh, alluded to it. But you know, under J. Edgar Hoover, they had informants. Were they spending less? Uh, you know, under the in the communist era, were they spending less? Is there anybody who's compiled that information, or can we not really know? We're not aware of that on a on an era by era basis, but here's some interesting comparisons uh, up against some of the biggest news stories currently. So, right. confidential human sources deployed by the FBI, the New York Times of all people, dropped the bombshell that at least two of them informants were indebted into the January sixth crowd. Julie Kelly at American Greatness has done great deep dive reporting. And she says at least one of the informants was contracted by the FBI as of July of 2020 before, Mm -hmm. during, and after January 6th was in contact with their FBI handler. So, you know, the, the, the plot to kidnap the Michigan governor. So you've got six people that were arrested for alleged conspiracy on that plot. You've got eight people that supposedly gave the six people material support You've got 12 right. now admitted FBI informants 
that you have a chicken and the egg problem. A federal judge is trying to sort out if we even had a conspiracy, if we didn't have the FBI informants. That's what's at stake legally right now. So, so it's, you know, these, the federal informant complex is not without controversy. Yeah, uh, and that, let me finish with this question, I, and I will be uh, leading the witness, or, and I know that, but we're talking Adam Andrzejewski, OpenTheBooks.com uh, is his website, his organization. He's the founder and president. His piece over at Forbes.com covered this. Uh, so I'm leading you, I know, but once you put half a billion dollars in play, you're going to get action, right? I mean, this, if there's anything that your work has taught, whether you're looking at the endowments of universities or you're looking at uh, payments to uh, government employees, the more money, you know, if your filter is look at the money, once you get a lot of money flowing, there's a lot of stuff happening. And, you know, inevitably, humans being humans, some of it is going to be questionable. That's right. Well, I think you nailed it. And, you know, there's Crime in the system, there's also corruption. When you have a black box, you're going to get corruption, especially with a half billion dollars sloshing around. So one of the right. examples that we have in the piece at Forbes is something that Jason Chaffetz, when he was head of U.S. House Oversight and Government Reform in Congress, he identified, and that is in a court case, there was about a quarter million dollars paid out to a female informant. And she admits in court she doesn't know why she's getting paid. And then it also comes out in court that she is – you know, has a sexual relationship with her DEA supervisor. And so you do get corruption when you have so much, so much money in the system. So what we're calling yeah. for at OpenTheBooks.com is reform and timely reporting, whatever that is, that doesn't get in the way of proper law enforcement, doesn't right. compromise enforcement, uh, informants, but provides right. reports <clears throat> you know, detailed reports to the American people because we're funding this complex. Right, right. It makes good sense. Well, as always, Adam, thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate you. We give great thanks for your organization's work. Wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, uh, we will catch up again soon. Happy Thanksgiving, Ed. All right, Adam Andrzejewski, everybody. We will uh, I'll put it all up on social media. The, the Forbes article sends you in the direction uh, that Adam Andrzejewski wrote in Forbes. He's a contributor there. And then over to Open the Books, there's more to see. So uh, we will look at all that, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Conrad Black, excuse me, Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black, of course, a, a businessman for many decades, also a publisher in, in, in Britain as well as in Australia and America and Jerusalem. Extraordinary career. And also, of course, has written uh, biographies of Nixon, uh, FDR, and a book on Donald Trump, a president like no other. Uh, welcome back, Lord Black. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks, Ed. How are you today? So, I'm great. I'm great. I, your piece, and I, I, got, I got in touch with you yesterday because I read your piece in American Greatness, and I thought it was really important. In fact, let me tell the truth. I got it sent to me by a friend of mine and said, uh, Conrad Black nails it. A um, couple days ago, American Greatness, and the title of the, uh, the piece is Trump is Necessary to Restore Two-Party Rule. I think, Lord Black, the, the thing about this that's so uh, convincing is you know all these players. You're talking about George Will, Peggy Noonan. You've been sort of a, a contemporary of them for a couple of decades or more, really. And you're describing what they hoped this would all mean and what it really means. Walk us through your sort of thrust of your piece. Yeah, well, I, I have known both of them for a long time, 40 years in the case of George Will. 
uh, and then about 25 with Peggy, and, and they're fine people and distinguished writers. Uh, but the the event that uh, prompted the piece that you kindly commented on was George Will's column in the Washington Post last week in which he said that uh, the the minders and the entourage of President Biden should keep him in a tighter cocoon to prevent <laughs> uh, gaffes and, and mistakes or even untruths from from uh, getting into the public domain, because otherwise it might um, enhance the possibility of President Trump being reelected, which would defer the return of the two-party system. And my own view, which I put out, was in the first place, uh, the, any tighter constraints on President Biden, and no one would see or hear anything of him at all, which you know, <laughs> right. so, some, some might not regret that, but that's not how the president of the U.S. is supposed to function. He's supposed to be reasonably accessible and, and comprehensible and enable people to form an opinion of him. Uh, but more to the point, I said that uh, I thought that there was essentially not a one-party system. I'm sorry, not a two-party system between Reagan and Trump, that that the McCain, Bush, Romney Republicans were essentially look-alike Democrats. And while the White House and the Congress changed hands, uh, we basically got a steady drift to the left and very little difference between the parties. Uh, and uh, that Trump had had put up an alternative and reversed course, and he was the person who revived the two-party system, and I thought George Will got that wrong. So that was the point I was making. And, you know, in the, in the end, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black and uh, a couple of paragraphs into it. You wrote you wrote this Trump reversed this trend. So you're talking about the trend that sort of uh, both parties were in charge and they were just kind of, uh, um, you know, appeasing China and uh, jobs were leaving. The border was wide open. And you, you wrote this Trump reversed this trend. He practically ended illegal immigration, unemployment, oil imports, disadvantage, disadvantageous trade agreements, the appeasement of China and an economic definition of globalism that exported capital and jobs and imported unemployment. And then you went on, and but um, but at the end you say a majority of Americans approved of these policies, and it was generally recognized that Trump would be reelected until China unleashed COVID nineteen onto the world. Um, I guess do you is that right? I, I say it too. I say, look, if you if you stop before COVID hits, I don't know anybody that could beat Trump. The, the numbers were too good. The economy's too strong. Things are too. Can we and say that now? In your there. estimation. Yeah. Then yeah. The poll showed it. I mean, you're right after that first phony impeachment effort. And just before COVID came down, uh, the, you know, the polls on who do you expect to vote for gave Trump the lead. Yeah. And and so here's what I wonder. Right now, uh, there was a piece in Politico last week. And again, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black. His uh, piece is over at American Greatness. I'll put it on social media. There was a piece in Politico uh, about a week ago and it said, um, after Virginia's race for governor and the Republican won, uh, the lobbyists on K Street uh, came a calling and said to the Republicans in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, forget about our being upset over January 6th. Remember that for about a month or two, they said, we'll never give to Republicans again, never to Holly, never to Cruz, never to these people. They said, forget about that. We're ready to give again. Again. And uh, my uh, estimation is right now, uh, the as you described, the sort of uniparty 
is happy to let a more moderate sounding republic i mean let the republicans have the house and senate with a democrat president and we'll go back to the same description you gave of of you know we'll we'll get along with we'll appease china we won't worry too much about the border in fact we'll probably pass an amnesty of some kind for workers and all that is that doesn't that seem like that's almost inevitable that's the path we're on I I don't think so. I think that's what the Democrats would like to do. But I I think the erosion of public confidence in this administration and this Congress is so great that they don't have any bargaining power to to hold the line in such a position. Uh, They're going to get absolutely bombed next year uh, in the midterms. And at that point, you've got a Democratic White House, which is uh, really tanked out in the polls and doesn't have much moral authority or political capital. But can at least resist the uh, can can probably exercise a veto where where it wants to when the Republicans try and legislate, but they're just sleepwalking towards the slaughterhouse because uh, in three years I think you'll get a, a a decisive statement by the American electorate that they want to go back. It won't be couched in quite this way, but to Trump's policies, they want a border. They 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 want uh, not to be uh, an energy dependent country, uh, dependent on countries that frequently don't wish America well, and they want an economic policy that seriously creates jobs and controls inflation, and uh, and is based on incentivization in the tax system. And uh, you know that's what they want. That's what they wanted before, but they got in the first place distracted by the Trump hate phenomenon and in the second place the the election was diddled i mean i don't know exactly and no one does but 45 million harvested ballots where 53,000 votes in three states would have flipped it to trump no one knows who won the election really Again, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black about his piece over in American Greatness. Uh, you mentioned one of the paragraphs later on. While George Will was not a leader in promoting the monstrous falsehoods of the Trump-Russia collusion or an impeachable conversation with the president of Ukraine, Ukraine, he knew better. He saw Biden assist Teddy Kennedy in the crucifixion of Robert Bork, and he had some idea of what America would get with Biden. Um, first, before I get to that, the, the thrust of that, um, you, you ran newspapers. You, you know, you're a publisher. You've written books, historical books. Has there ever been anything in American history like the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax in terms of the depth of the hoax and what it did to America? Uh, No. And in particular, I make the point that um, no major party nominee to the office of president in the history of the country, even ones with indifferent reputations like Aaron Burr, for example, no one who has ever been a serious candidate for president of the United States would ever, ever have cooperated with a foreign government to rig an American election. I I mean, whatever may be said of them, and there are a wide range of people from tremendous statesmen like Washington and Lincoln to to much more marginal people, but not one of them would have entertained anything so outrageous as colluding with a foreign government to rig an American presidential election. The whole concept is outrageous. But it's but it's almost flipped on its head. It was it looks like it was the the, the you know the British and slash Russian that that engineered the Steele dossier. I mean, it, 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 maybe the Hillary Clinton Clinton campaign didn't say get us a Russian uh, connection to do it, but they certainly used foreign uh, you know adversaries to put it together, and then the FBI and everybody went along with it. They more than went along with it. They they fostered it. 
Exactly, and the and the and the intelligence agencies. Uh, James Clapper, the head of the National Intelligence Agency, publicly stated uh, Donald Trump is a Russian intelligence asset. I mean, a dupe, a spy, a stooge. I, I mean, effectively a traitor, except that they weren't at war. I mean, this is just the most monstrous assertion ever made by a comparably uh, exalted official in the U.S. government. Uh, and now, on the Russian British side of it. Uh, it may well be that the Russian government knew something about it and assisted in it. That's quite possible. But the British government didn't. It happens that Steele himself is, is a British citizen. But there's not been a jot of evidence that the British government had any hand in any of this. They wouldn't touch right. a thing like that. Right. And now back to this uh, point on uh, Will and Noonan and the, the like. These are not un, uh, these are not terrible people. They're not no. uh, uh, they're not. They're, they're smart people. They're serious people. They're, uh, and you know, they're, and they're yet, good and they're very patriotic. They, they love their country and they're, and they're good. And they're nice people, too. I mean, they're good people to have dinner with. Well, but and but they still can't let it go. Right. They well, still can't it, see it's what happened. Thing. It's illustrative yeah. of, of the fact that for some reason, and this would require a great deal of specialized analysis, some people, no matter how intelligent and distinguished they are, simply flip their corks. A cuckoo bird flies out of their head when when the name of Trump comes up and those who are in that category. I mean, Peggy Noonan is a wonderful person, a very judicious person. And she referred in the Wall Street Journal uh, about a year ago to to a little more than a year ago to Trump being a um, a tumor metastasizing in the Oval Office. I mean, that is an evil thing to say. You might say that about yeah. Hitler or Stalin or something, but right. not about any right. president <laughs> in the history of the U.S. Yeah, it is amazing. All right. Well, Lord Black, thank you for making time to talk with us about your piece. Again, uh, uh, it is over at American Greatness, uh, captures uh, as well as anybody exactly where we are. So appreciate your time, sir. Hey, always a pleasure, Ed. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Conrad Black, everybody. I'll put it up on social media and let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, if you're like my kids, you don't want to hear any talk of uh, Christmas this early. My kids have a, 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 an, an informal rule that they don't want to hear Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, but they don't even want to talk about Christmas stuff like shopping and all until December turns, no matter what. So this is their rule. I don't know why my kids decide to have this rule, but that's uh, where they are. So, But I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking that rule right now because I want to tell you about a very cool opportunity if you go to uh, phyllisschlafly.com, I'll put it up on social media, there's a link there, and there we have a Christmas sale going on. Now, what's very cool about Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, I mean, not just very cool about her, she was an amazing lady, but what is amazing, one of the amazing things about her is she was an incredible writer. And so we have already published volume after volume of her books, we call them Phyllis Schlafly Speaks, and you go on, on patents, on pro-life, on Donald Trump, 
uh, all there. And again, you go to this website, you can follow this. Also, there's um, the first reader, very popular. Phyllis Schlafly wrote a reading manual for children to read back in the day. I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago. It's very popular these days. It's called the first reader. And there's a first reader workbook. Uh, you can find that there. You can also, there's tote bags, Phyllis uh, Schlafly tote bags, leather uh, pad folio. We actually have a copy. Uh, the other day, you may remember, I appeared on Larry Elder's um, uh, radio show. And in the midst of all the different kind of appearances I made, I have acquired over the years some of the key books of folks uh, like Larry Elder. His book is A Lot Like Me, at tw- uh, out in 2018 in paperback, about his relationship with his father. Phenomenal book. You buy that there. We've got some uh, uh, David Horowitz books, autographed uh, books that are around. We also have uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, his book on uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. Pilots. Pirates. If you uh, are upset they took down Thomas Jefferson's uh, a statue up in New York City. Here's a chance. This is a great history. Anyway, all of this is at this website. You can go there and check it out. Lots of books, including my uh, my uh, comic, excuse me, coloring books. Can't trump this Kofefe. There's a Christmas version. Uh, the most, the, the best book I can recommend. Really important for you to read is Phyllis Schlafly's book, A Choice, Not an Echo, which she updated in 2014. It was a a runaway uh, multi-sold, I think, almost 2.5 million copies in 1964. Well, all those years later, uh, um, 50 years later, she published an updated version, and it gives you the best description of what's going on behind the scenes in the Republican Party and why it's so important to do that. So check it out. If you go, there's lots of gifts. About, oh, I want to to mention, there's also called the Turbo Reader. Phyllis, when she did the uh, first reader, she then did a, a Turbo Reader, which allowed people to uh, uh, a different level of reading you can get there. So another favorite of mine is Who Killed the American Family? Uh, extraordinary book written in 2014. You should get that. And then one last one I'll finish on. It's called The Supremacist. And it's uh, Phyllis writing about the importance, the tyranny of judges and how to stop it the importance of the fight over judges so a lot there if you go again for christmas all these books there's no supply chain problems <laughs> there's no issues you can sign uh, buy these books now we'll get them to you in just a few days you'll get them for christmas and there really is something for everybody if you have somebody that loves the pro-life movement there's really nothing like uh volume three of phyllis schlafly speaks it's called the subtitle is how the Republican Party became pro-life and it marches through how Phyllis Schlafly was able uh, to um, shape the platform of the Republican Party. It's an extraordinary history. It's got a description of, uh, of, of tactics to get it done. It's got description of the people that were against it. It's really great. Um, another book, by the way, that I recommend uh, to you is uh, if you have somebody who is a young person who's interested in being a speaker uh, and uh, speaking professionally, we put together, in fact, Phyllis picked this out before she died. The very first volume of her uh, writings is called Phyllis Shafley Speaks, Volume 1, Her Favorite Speeches. She pulled out a set of her favorite speeches, and we published them. And they're on every subject. They're on the military. They're on life issues. They're on patents. They're on the, uh, the um, economy uh, education, uh, one of her favorite topics, of course, the Constitution. She writes on that uh, in there. So that's a great one. And I, I've actually given that book uh, quite a few times to young people, our collegians uh, or someone that I know that just is interested in politics and policy uh, to show um, she 
Phyllis Schlafly was a writer her whole life, and she attributed the fact that she could write, uh, that she wrote well and worked hard at it, to helping her think clearly. You, you cannot be a loose thinker if you're writing all the time. You cannot, you just can't do it. And so she attributed that. And she wrote an extraordinary amount uh, in her long life. In fact, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see the button for the, uh, for the sale. But also, I'd recommend that you go there and you can look at her Phyllis Schlafly reports. Uh, she wrote so many um, essays, so many columns, and so many uh, reports. They called her PS Reports. It was a monthly report. I- I- incredible uh, discipline, incredible cl- uh, clarity. And as I often tell people, I can go back and look over the 50 year period where she was writing so frequently. I can go back and look and I can track down almost any topic, uh, anything that was, you know, in the news she had written about uh, in some way. And her take is almost always uh, not just, it's not that it's unique. She didn't do things just to make it different, but it was, um, she had a way of seeing things. Uh, that was different than most people. And so you could go and figure that out. So com to find out more. And uh, you want to sign on and you want to uh, pick up some gifts. And by the way, the proceeds go, of course, to our work at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. So it supports us there. All right. So there's some Christmas gifts. If you need a gift to thank uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer, you can go there. Or Joanna Spilger, our great uh, assistant producer who helps book these guests. Go there and get them a gift. You can do it there. So uh, more of that on social media. Thank you for listening. We will be back uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.